part and at the end of his life, he was on his deathbed and he reflected upon his life and he concluded, oh, what a fool I've been. What if instead of trying to change the world, I said, God, change me. And then it changed me, would have changed my family, and it changed family, could have changed our church, and it changed church, could have changed our city, and it changed city, could have changed our nation, and it changed nation, could have changed the world, but it begins here. This is where revival sparks. The single characteristic, the common thread that runs through every revival throughout the course of history was that it was in the context of an extremely depressed climate, a cultural crisis. Somebody let the Lord change them. And that was the igniting spark that created a wildfire. Well, today uh, we are celebrating our youth and the fact that there are so many youth in our culture, in our city. And I hope and I pray your heart is hungry to see these kids' lives get set on fire for Jesus Christ. And this is one of our youth. Would you guys give it up for Brandy, please? An amazing young lady, and, and she writes incredible poetry, and just in light of the, uh, of the luncheon that we're going to have to help kids go to our, our weekend uh, uh, youth camp that we're preparing, I ask Brandy just to share one of her points. Things in this life all happen for a reason, and sooner or later it will change you like it changed me. Growing up with a half-absent mother, three sisters, and a big brother was not as perfect as I thought it would be. Sometimes we were all lost and absent from each other's thoughts. Meanwhile, none of us were as we should have been. There, were, there was always bigger, bigger pictures that should have happened. The smallest things became the biggest during hard times. The struggle has made me as I am today, and the things that I will face will make me who I am in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Brandy. And um, this is Cassandra, and as Cassandra sings, I would just like to ask you to pray for the healing of a nation. Um, there's been a lot of hatred, a lot of violence, a lot of bloodshed, and I know that uh, I, I know that some of you are Republicans. I, I know that some of you are Democrats, and and I just I just pray that as Cassandra sings, that we wouldn't be so concerned whether we swing to the left or to the right, but analyze our hearts not horizontally but where we are north and south where we are with God and ask where is our nation where does our nation need to go do we need to veer more to the right or do we need to veer more to the left that that thought would be so overshadowed by where is our nation vertically with God because the, 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 the consequences that we've realized over the last week or two is not a result of left or right. It is a result of us abandoning God. We asked God a long time ago to step out of our schools. These days there's a movement for God to step out of our Pledge of Allegiance. We've decided not to acknowledge God in our, what we deem marriage. We've decided not to acknowledge the sanctity of life. We've decided not to acknowledge God in our morality, in our personal decisions, outside of the church and inside of the church, which represents a, a divorce rate and immorality and pornography and addictions that is just as rampant as outside of the church. Yes. 
The solution is not Republican or Democrat. Where do we swing right or left? It is where are we vertically? Yes. This is the only solution. It's not a change in the White House. It's a change in our heart. And so as Cassandra sings, I ask that you pray for our nation. And I ask that you pray for healing amongst uh, that, that's represented by all of the families um, that are grieving the loss of a loved one over the past uh, week or two. So, Would you all please stand all over the sanctuary? And if you don't mind, would you just grab somebody's hand next to you? Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be with God as our Father, brothers all. Hurry. Let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. Let peace begin with me and let this be the moment now. With every step I take, let this be my solemn vow to take each moment and live each moment in perfect harmony. For spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains, majesty.
Thank you, Cassandra. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Audrey. Brandy, Luke, Patrick. If you have your Bibles, open it to Ezra. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would bless our time together. I'm very well aware I cannot preach. Oh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit touches this moment that we have together through your word, and we connect with your heart, and it changes us. And we pray that that change would be a spark that creates a wildfire so that as a church we wouldn't just hold our ground and occupy our territory, but we would advance and take the gates of hell by force. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I read through the Old Testament, I am taken back by the intensity of these Old Testament saints. The fervor, the passion. These men and women seem to get a hold of the heart of God in such a way that they exemplified the heart of God in a manner that caused entire cities to come to repentance, in a manner that caused the soul of entire nations to be converted, and at the very least, in a manner that, 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 that caused many people to come back to Christ. They so intensely sought the heart of God, and somehow they connected with the heart of God so that their heart beat in sync with God's heart, and it resulted in incredible intensity, which was a dramatic, fervent, vivid display of the heart of God. I think of a prophet who laid on his side for 365 days to communicate the heart of God and the, and, and, and the, and the imminent judgment upon a nation because of sin. Can you imagine laying on one side for 365 days? We read in the Old Testament of prophets who were so not just grieved by sin, but so grieved by how that sin affected and grieved the heart of God, so in touch with the heart of God that they pulled their beards out of their face and pulled hair out of their face. I, I, I read about prophets of old who had such a fervor to get in touch with the heart of God, to sh for their heart to beat in sync with God's heart, that they would fast in the mountains for 40 days. This was without a smoothie. My fast usually involve a smoothie, to be honest with you, and certainly not for 40 days. I read of prophets who would go without food and water for weeks and the entire time crying out to God to share his heart with them. And they would pray with such fervor and such intensity that it affected their entire physical body. And what's most shocking to me about these men of old, men and women, is that they weren't supernatural saints, if you will. They weren't set apart at birth for these divine tasks, if you will. For example, if you watch the NBA or the major leagues or the NFL or Olympic swimming or Olympic diving or something of this nature, you realize that there is a great deal of intensity and fervor that goes into a training. But when you get to that level, you also realize that it's just not, it's just not a matter of fervor and intensity. There also has to be some genetics, some DNA uh, involved to propel them to such excellence. 
not so with these men and women of old. They weren't superhero saints. They didn't have a spiritual DNA, if you will, that inclined them to this intensity. The Bible tells us that they were given as examples to us. The Bible tells us that they are of like passions as us. Which means that they should have been the norm. They were the exception, but they should have been the norm. And they sought the Lord with such fervor and such intensity that their heart beat in sync with God's and they graphically, vividly, passionately displayed God's heart to people in a manner that called people to, to fall on their face and weep and repent. And it caused people to seek God again. And it caused cities again to be revived. And it caused the souls of entire nations to be converted. And they are of like passion of, uh, as us. They are set as an example of what God can do through somebody who seeks him with all of their heart. And if God was looking for a man or woman or boy or girl in those days when their morality, these guys, when, when God would bring repentance to cities and nations uh, to, to, uh, to escape his, his imminent judgment, these nations were like the Boy Scouts compared to the United States of America today. The wickedness of Fort Worth alone the wickedness of the United States alone has far exceeded Nineveh and Sodom and Gomorrah. So that I have to agree with Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, when she said, I believe it was in the 70s, if God doesn't judge America soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And if God was looking for a man, woman, boy, or girl, he was no respecter of persons to vividly display his heart through in those cultures. Now that we're at, at the end of the age, now that we're uh, approaching the end of all things, now that the wickedness of our society has far exceeded the wickedness of Nineveh and Sodom and Gomorrah, now that of all things we have what those prophets only looked into the future and marveled at and longed for, and that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, I must ask, how much more so would God be looking for a man, woman, boy, or girl, or church through whom he can display his heart in a manner that would bring about repentance. But what was it about those saints of old? Again, it wasn't the supernatural spiritual DNA that inclined them to such uh, spiritual fervor. Per se, you look at King Saul, who was called and chosen, certainly, but he aborted the calling of God upon his life. And you look at King David, who was adopted into the calling of God. So the, the, the people in whom God poured his spirit up on to change their hearts so that he could display his heart through, there was consistency amongst them. There was a pattern about them. I don't care if it's Moses, Elijah, uh, Samuel, David, um, uh, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, it, it doesn't matter which prophet of old you, you point to. There was some consistency about them. There were some common threads. There was a pattern about them in which God said, Alas, I have found a man, woman, boy, or girl through whom I can display my heart in such a graphic, intense, fervent manner that people will repent 
and they will seek my face again. There was nothing, there was nothing mysterious about it. There was nothing incredibly skilled about it. Uh, there was nothing incredibly theological, nothing incredibly talented, gifted, poetic, articulate about it. It was very simple. They had some very basic, some very simple common threads, some core denominators in which uh, made them a whole nother kind of follower of God. And I believe if God was willing to so display his heart through them, then now when wickedness has far exceeded them, now when he's given us the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, I have no doubt that God will display his heart through us now. If these common denominators are also present in our heart, if these common denominators are also present in our life, if these common denominators are present in our daily decisions, if these common denominators are present in our disciplines, if these common denominators are present in our passion, what are these common denominators? Again, it's nothing mysterious. It's nothing mystical. I think that some of us would, would far rather get marching orders from God to, to go to Colorado, hike to the, some mountain, find an eagle's nest, get a golden egg, whatever. You know, something mysterious and mystical, some one-time task deal. It's simple. It's simple. But as C.S. Lewis said, we need to be reminded, I think, far more than we need to be taught. And so just as we walk through this, I want you to ask yourselves, are these things consistent in your passion? Are these things consistent in your character? So let's begin with Ezra chapter 7. We will just single out this one uh, prophet of old, this one man in whom God revealed his heart. And these prophets, these prophets, they're weeping and they're wailing and they're ripping out their beards and they're fasting and they're laying on their sides and this intensity, this, this fervorance. It's not, that, it's not that as humans they were just so offended by sin and they were just super, uh, you know, holier-than-thou kind of guys. It's not that they were just offended by sin as men and women. It's that they were so in sync with the heart of God that they felt what God felt. And their heart was grieving, their heart was lamenting, along with God's heart. Because his people had turned away, and his people were apathetic, and his people chose sin rather than him. It's that their heart was so in sync with God's, and they felt God's heart. Ezra chapter 7, we'll look at Ezra, whom God used greatly and displayed his heart through in the first uh, picture that we see about Ezra is this. Ezra, Ezra, and, I, and, and, and again I say, it's not rocket science, but I, I ask again, is it consistent with your life? Ezra was passionate for the Word of God. He sought the face of God through the Word of God in a manner to know, I want to know God's ways. I want to know God's heart. I want to know God's directions. I want to know God's promises. I want to know God's path. And when I discover them through the Word, I don't want you just to know them. I want to believe them. I want to claim them. I want to act upon them. I want to live them. And he sought God. He sought God. Not for this knowledge that he could just store up knowledge. He sought God for this practical application. He sought God for a fresh word, a fresh promise every day so that he could stand upon it, so that he could live it. We, we see in Ezra chapter 7 in verse 10. For Ezra had, watch this word, devoted. You can, you can write the word passionate. He was passionate about it. For Ezra devoted himself to the study 
He always studied the word. He was passionate about it. He devoted himself to the study and the observance. That just means I'm not just going to read it, but I'm reading it to see how I can apply it to my daily life. He devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and the teachings it decrees and laws in Israel. He had a passion for the word of God. David was, was one of these people that God displayed his heart through very vividly, very graphically, and it brought many to repentance. And, and we read in Psalm chapter 119, I mean, you just, you just look at Psalm 119, and it's the longest chapter, incidentally, in the entire Bible. Uh, oftentimes, if you just sort of blindly open your Bible up to the very middle of the Bible, you'll land in Psalm chapter 119. I forget how many verses are in there, but it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And it doesn't matter which verse you pick, there, you'll, you'll see the word law, decrees, statutes, ordinances, word. And every single verse has a reference to the Word of God, to the Bible, to Scripture, to promises. And, and there's verses like this. How shall a young man keep his way clean? By taking heed according to your Word. There's things like, I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. There's things like, daily, daily, I meditate on your Word. Do you consistently fall into the same temptation? Do you consistently go back to the same sin pattern? The Bible says that, that if we daily hunger and thirst and seek God through his word, if we have a daily appetite of the word of God, how shall a young man keep his way clean? By taking heed according to your word. If we're not in the word every day, then our spirit man is going to be weak. It's going to be anemic and every day's a fight and every day we're going to get beat up. Every day we've got to be in the word. And if you're not in the word every single day, I can tell you two things about your life. One, you don't have a lot of joy. Two, you constantly stumble into temptation it's the truth if you're not in the word every single day one you don't have a lot of joy and you're probably pretty discouraged two you're constantly stumbling into the same temptation John chapter 15 Jesus says I think like seven times over and over and over and over and you know that when Jesus gets repetitive, he's emphasizing. He says over and over and over, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. You, you see that Jesus is emphasizing something here? And with every command... He issues a promise. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll bear much fruit. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask of your will and it will be done unto you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, etc. But he also issues a warning. If you don't abide in me and my word does not abide in, me, in, in you, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. 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 Are you abiding in the word? See, these Old Testament saints, again, there's nothing just spiritually supernatural about them. They didn't have this spiritual, uh, supernatural DNA where we're like, man, I wish I were like that. They were of like passions as us and given to us as an example. But this characteristic, they had a passion for the Word of God. There's a story about a young man who goes off to college and tells his dad he needs some money. And his dad, rather than giving him money, he gives him a Bible. And he said, son, read this. And the, and the son takes it, and he's kind of mad. I didn't need a Bible. I needed money. Dad, you're all faith, no practicality. You're so heavenly-minded. You're no earthly good. What good is a Bible going to do me? I get it, faith and all that. But I needed some money. And the dad's like, son, just, just read the Bible. 
So a few weeks later, the son calls the dad and says, Dad, I need some money. And the dad said, Son, did you read the word? And the son said, Yeah, Dad, I, I, I read the word. And he says, Son, re- read the word. A few weeks later, Dad, I need some money. Son, did you read the word? Yeah, I, I read the word. Son, read the word. A few weeks later, Dad, I need some money. Son, did you read the word? Dad, I read the word. Son, read the word. This went on for like a year. And, this, and the son said, Dad, I can't believe you just left me dry. I, I needed money. And the dad said, Son, did you read the word? Dad, I read the word. And the dad said, Son, at every major division in the word, I put a $100 bill. You, you never opened the Bible, did you? Now, in the same way, we say, God, I need joy. I need joy. I'm so depressed. I need strength over temptation. I keep stumbling. God, I need you to bless my life. God, I need favor in the ministry. And God says, Son, daughter, read the word. God, I'm struggling. I need it. faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So the first characteristic of these saints of old was that they had a passion for the word of God. God, I want to know your word as revealed in scripture. I'm going to seek you every day. I'm going to seek you, and I need you to give me a word because I want to apply it. I want to believe it. I want to pray it second characteristic of these saints of old was that they had a passion for the power of God upon their lives. A passion for the power of God upon their lives, uh, making a distinction to their own strength, to their own knowledge, to their own credentials, to their own abilities. They had a passion for the watch care and the strength and the favor and the blessing of God upon their lives. Let's look at Ezra chapter 8 verse 21. There by I have a channel, I proclaimed a fast, Ezra says. I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. Why did he proclaim a fast? Why did they humble themselves? Why did they fast? Why did they go without food? Why did they pray? Because they knew that they needed God's watch, care, blessings, and protection. And what can oftentimes happen is that we can become so comfortable and we think that we got it and so that we coast. And in most churches today, if the Holy Spirit stepped out, nobody would ever know the difference. You know that it's true. Nobody would ever know the difference because it is such a well-oiled, well-funded, mechanical operation. And if the Holy Spirit steps out, they would keep on functioning in their own safety and their own security, and their own resources, and their own confidence. But Ezra was stepping out in a manner that he knew he and his people needed the divine watch care and blessing upon God, so they fasted and they prayed, which obviously is the channel for this divine watch care and favor and blessings and power upon God. They fasted and they prayed. So we see that saints of old not only had a passion for the word, but saints of old also had a passion to fast and to pray. They fasted and they prayed because they knew that it wasn't up to them. They knew it was up to God. They knew it wasn't about them and they knew that it wasn't up to them. And so they fasted and they prayed. And I'm... um, I'm asking you guys to fast and pray as well. Uh, Beginning on the 19th to the 29th, it's a 10-day fast. And the the thing about fasting is that we go without something. 
Some of you will go without food. Uh, some of you uh, may do the, the Daniel fruit and vegetable fast for 10 days. Some of you will go without television for 10 days. Some of you will go without electronic devices for 10 days. It's personal. Pray about it. How does the Lord lay it, lay it on your heart? And on the 19th, we will fast and pray. But the, but the idea is not simply to go without. If we simply go without, it's just an exercise in being uncomfortable for 10 days. The goal is not to go without. The goal is to go without in order to go deeper with God in prayer. So when you're thinking, man, I sure would like to just devour a bag of potato chips right now. Instead, you pray. And when you think, man, I sure would like to watch Fox News or CNN right now. Instead, you pray. You go without something for 10 days to find that prayer closet, to shut yourself up in the prayer closet again, and you pray. And what are we going to pray? Did you know that you can pray without progress? You can cry out to God and still crash because your prayers are aimless, your faith is aimless. Our prayers, our faith must be focused. Focused faith prays the Word of God. Focused faith stands upon the Word of God. Another common denominator through many uh, revivals throughout history is not only was it preceded by a time of national depression or cultural crisis or church uh, lethargy, but they would take God at His Word. You can read about it all throughout the Old Testament. They would say, God, you said, you said that if we do this, you will do that. And so the verse that we are standing upon as we fast and as we pray as a church for 10 days, beginning July 19th, I believe it's next Tuesday, the passage that we are standing upon is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And so pray. Stand upon that verse as you pray. And I ask that you pray about the awakening. Uh, July the 29th, our fast will end that night. There'll be a food truck there, so I'm sure they'll get some great business from HopeWorks. Um, but fast and pray. Pray for the awakening. Pray that churches are unified. Pray that Jesus Christ is glorified. Pray that the heart of Jesus is reflected through the prayers of the pastors, the Hispanic pastor, the black pastor, the white pastor. Pray that the heart of God is reflected through the, through the prayers of these pastors as the churches unify together. And as everybody assembles together with somebody who needs Christ, pray that souls are saved through the gospel message. This is the prayer. We pray. And I ask you to join with me in this praying. But, 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 but you know, it, it's not just about going without food, but continuing on with pornography. You know, does that make sense? It, it's, it's not just about going without television, but continuing on with sexual immorality. Does that make sense? We, we go without something that we're used to that's a vice, it's a normal addiction, whether good or bad. We go about it to go deeper with God through prayer, and at the same time, it's an opportunity to repent of sin. We fast and we pray. And another common denominator of the saints of old, as we, as we glean from the life of Ezra, is that they had a passion for purity. They had a passion for personal purity. In chapter 10, verse 1, we read that while Ezra was praying and confessing, he was praying and confessing, he was confessing sin, he was weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God. Huh. 
He so sought the Lord through the word. He so sought the Lord through prayer and fasting that his heart began to beat and sink with the heart of the living God. And he saw that how his sins grieved the heart of God. And he was so grieving with the heart of God that he was weeping and he was throwing himself down. Again, let me just emphasize, it's not because he was a Boy Scout or he was self-righteous or he was holier than thou or he was easily offended. It's because he so sought with such fervency the very heart of God that literally what God felt, he felt. Their hearts were beating in sync and he saw, he felt how God's heart was grieving and he was grieving with God's heart and so he was confessing all of those things that were grieving the heart of God and as a result a large crowd gathered around and they too wept bitterly it was a passion for personal purity not because we're Pharisees or self-righteous, but because we see how our sins grieve the heart of God. And again, if I could just touch on this, if you're a five-point Calvinist, you're like, we can't affect God. God is completely sufficient in the Trinity. God is so humble. God is so vulnerable. God loves us so purely that he chose to expose his heart and say, here it is. Here is my heart. All of it. I love you. And you can take this heart and you can break it and it will grieve. But I love you. And whether you seek me with all your heart or run from me will cause my heart to rejoice or it will cause my heart to break. Why else throughout scripture would the living God who created the cosmos Look on this pale blue dot, this speck of dust, just in our solar system, much less our galaxy, much less our universe. Why would the creator of all things look at this pale blue dot in your life and my life and be kindled unto jealousy whether we seek him or not? Because he chose to love us with a pure love, with a real love. And if we run from him, it causes him anger in the same way that a groom would be angered if, his, if the love of his life ran off with somebody else. God's heart is angered. It is prone to jealousy. You say, but 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not jealous. That means love is not envious. But yes, the heart of God is jealous for us with a holy, jealous fervor. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus and it caused his heart sadness. And when one sinner returns to Christ, there's joy in the presence of angels. And there is singing. The Bible says he sings over us. There's rejoicing. There's dancing. There's singing over us. Jesus rejoices and sings over us when we return to him with all of our heart. And when we see how our sin affects the heart of God, it grieves us. And when we seek him through prayer, when we seek him through fasting, when we're in the word daily, our heart will catch the rhythm of God's heartbeat. And our heart will begin to beat and sink with God's. And we feel what God feels. And we no longer have a love-hate relationship with our sin. We only hate our sin. There's a phrase called broken. And you know that a, a stallion is broken when the rider can just gently nudge on the reins and the horse will go left, the horse will go right, the horse will stop, the horse will run. It's broken. It's broken to the reins. 
And when we seek God every day with a passion, with a passion through his word, when we seek God through prayer every day, when we seek God through fasting, which will be fasting from the 19th to the 29th, and when we seek God for personal purity and we confess of our sins, then our heart, this is beautiful, our heart becomes broken to God's heart. And we feel what God feels. And when God grieves, our heart feels it. And like a, like, like, like a rider guiding a stallion, our heart is broken to the heart of God. And we feel grieved. We feel joy. We feel compassion. We feel fervor. We feel a love for the lost. So this message is entitled, Broken to the Heart of God. And that's how I'll conclude the message by asking you that question. Is your heart broken to the heart of God? These are critical days. And God is looking for somebody through whom he can reveal his heart so vividly, so fervently, so intensely, so passionately that people return to God. People cry out to God. People see the cross of Christ, the blood that was shed, and they fall in love with Christ. And the soul of a nation can literally be converted, but not without a people whose hearts are broken to the heart of God. Would you stand with me? And so I just want to, I just want to ask you to bow your heads. Do you want your heart to be broken to the heart of God? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Then if that's the case, I want to invite you to come forward and commit. You say, I don't know that I can really read the Bible every day. It's just a decision. You make a decision to scroll through social media every day, don't you? It's just a decision. That's all. It's not mysterious. It's a decision. You make a decision to watch TV every day. You make a decision to drink coffee. You make a decision to eat lunch every day. It's just a decision. That's all it is. It's just a decision. Will you decide to seek the Lord passionately through his word every day? Will you decide to seek the Lord through prayer every day? Will you decide to fast as a church family from the 19th to the 29th? Will you decide to confess your sins and turn from your sins? because your heart is broken to the heart of God, then as a church, let's decide today. And let's just come forward and let's repent and let's make these decisions. Let's make these commitments. Let's respond.